0: Chances are, chances are you got, you've got you got an orientation at the knee where he's trying to use the knee to push down into the ground. Good morning, happy Monday. I have NeuroCoffee in hand and it is perfect. Mm, that is delicious. Okay, digging into Monday. Uh, quick housekeeping, going through the applications for the Intensive 14. Um, the official announcement would be by uh, July 8th. I'm hoping to get that done a little bit early. So those golden tickets might be going out um, a little bit earlier than expected. So be looking for those if you are one of those folks who applied. Um, let's dig into today's Q&A. Uh, this is with Anthony. Anthony happens to work with a friend of mine, Jeremy Pastor, who does a little cameo appearance in this in this video. Um, if you don't know Jeremy, please follow him on Instagram. He does, he does good things um, out east. So... Um, Anthony's working with a wide receiver, coming off of an ACL. Uh, I think he's about eight or nine months post, still having some some pain-related issues. And we break down the chessboard, so if you've, if you've ever been confused about chessboards, this is going to be a really good one um, for you folks. Anthony does a great job, actually, of of understanding what what he has measured. Um, We went through uh, a little bit of a review of that, so so again, it makes that useful for those of you who are are unfamiliar with the narrow archetype, especially in really fast people, um, because it shows up in this chessboard. And then we go through some some reasoning and some interventions and such. Um, So again, I I think breaking this down like we did is going to be really, really helpful for a lot of people. So thank you, Anthony, for this. Um, if you would like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com, and put 15-minute consultation in the subject line, and we will arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding Monday, and I'll see you tomorrow. All right. We are recording. Clock has started. Anthony, what's your question?
1: Hey, so, Bill, my question is I'm working with a high school football player. He's a, uh, he's a wide receiver. He had left ACL surgery in October. He was cleared in March by his PT, but he was still in pain and discomfort. He came to me about two, three weeks ago. Um, his chest board, uh, he's a narrow ISA. His chest board, the biggest thing that stands out to me is I see the magnified ER on the right side. Um, yep. I just want to go through my interpretation of what I think is going on, then you can kind of uh, intervene. Um, so, what I believe is happening is on the left side, um, I believe he's in a, he's in a late propulsive strategy on the left side. Which is turning the sacrum and the spine to the right, and that's what's giving me my magnified ER. Um, and, and I'm assuming the right side is more than an early propulsive foot. Um, and I just want to just confirm that from when, I, cause when okay. I test ER is the spine just turning to me?
0: Yeah, real real quick, because because it's, it's not on the chessboard. What does his left foot look like?
1: Um, in terms of uh, is he pronated. Yeah, you could say it's more of a little more pronated.
0: A little more or a lot.
1: Um, I, it, I I don't know.
0: Okay. So. Okay. You're going to have to, you're going to have to find out cause it's going to, it's probably going to influence the, the, uh, strategies that you're going to use. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to take away
2: from this time. Just hey, that.
0: you're, you're not allowed to be on this video, man. <laughs> you're taking a valuable time. Okay. <laughs> Jeremy's a good guy. All right. So, so, so let's, you're on, you're on point. Okay. You're, you're, you're really going in the right direction, but let's, let's look at a couple of things. So right away, narrow bias. And this, this is typical you're, for most wide receivers you are going to see the narrow bias. Okay. Um, that alone is going to magnify the ER because, because of the orientation of sacrum and the, the itself, it's going to magnify ER, take away IR. So we should always expect that. Okay, so before you superimpose anything else, whether we're talking about superficial strategies or we're talking about helical turns and things like that, you got to start thinking, it's like, okay, I'm going to have somebody that's going to be, be biased towards that, okay? okay. Um, the fact that you have a reduction in hip external rotation on the left side tells you that you this got this, this guy on a turn. He's a narrow ISA, so he's going to be turning on a more vertical helical axis, so everything fits. Um, as far as what you're seeing in, in regards, in regards to, to the hip. Um, I think you're, you're dead on point when you look at straight leg raise being more limited on the left side than the right side, both are limited, which means that he's forward. And if he's a wide receiver, guess what? He should be forward. He's a, he's, he's designed to be fast. And so he should be pushing towards late. Okay. Okay. Um, And and so that accounts for, for the differences in the straight leg raise. Um, So, the only the only thing that you run into is um, you've got a little bit of uh, um, he's this. This goes all the way up into his uh, shoulder girdle, into his neck. I don't I don't know if you can see that or not.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Do you see
0: the you see the, uh, the IR representation in the shoulder
1: on the left compared to the right?
0: Yeah, it's like it's like that doesn't make sense at all that you should have like crazy IR on one side when you don't have any hip IR on that side. But that right. that is, is is like he's turning he's turning through the neck to create that okay? right. Um. So so you're dead on as far as all of your turns are correct. All of the the late propulsive representations are correct. But keep in mind that he's forward on both sides.
1: Okay? Now his hip flexion is more limited on the right. Is at eighty degrees, and correct. he has no and he has no IR on that. So like when I when I bring that leg up, is it like adducted? So when I, am I, yes. am I hitting okay. something?
0: Mike? So, so, so here's, so here, here he is laying on the table. Yeah. Okay? And then here's where you did your measurement. Yeah. You see it? Yeah. So yeah. here's, here's where you measured. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So, so, so here's what you do. So he's over here. Okay. Your first move to, to get all of the, all of his uh, full excursion back is to go. That way. Right. You see right. it? Yep. So you gotta you gotta move him that way. Don't try to bring this across. Move him over here. Okay. Okay. So so you're gonna have to move him to his left first.
1: Okay. So and you can
0: start him. to turn him. So so here's what's gonna happen. So so again, if 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 you're measuring here, and so this is his representation, if you try to push him back on the left, here's what happens. It all turns to get like, you don't get any relative motions back. So you got to move him over first, then you can move him back. And now you have a very powerful strategy to restore what you're talking about. So, so think about now, let's talk about why he may be still having the, the discomfort. Does he have full excursion of the knee? No. Okay so you got to start thinking it's like okay what's the orientation of the knee that's why i'm asking you about the foot because that's going to give us a lot of information because we kind of know where we know where the hip and the pelvis are we just don't know how far forward he is the foot's going to give us give us that representation and so it's like how low is the arch what do the toes look like in regards to their behavior and then that's going to tell you how how far forward he is does that make sense so you can see you say, yeah, he's probably in a late propulsive strategy, okay, yeah. but how far forward do, is he and then how far back do you need to actually bring him, all right, because if he is that far forward, because my guess is, okay, looking at this, when you look at the chessboard and you go, ah, he's only got like a 15 degree deficit in ER compared to the other side. I think it's a heck of a lot more because I think you I think when you laid him on the table, <clears throat> I think you rolled to the left. And that that gave you more ER in that measurement. Okay. Yep. I don't think you should. I don't think you should even have that. Right. Um, so so again, this is how this is how far forward he is. But the foot's going to give you that information. Now, having said that. probably got a little twist in the knee okay so he doesn't have a lot of hip ir on that left side as a representation of the of the hip joint itself but he's putting pressure into the ground Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now you gotta go okay where does he put pressure into the ground all right so if the pelvis did roll back to the left okay that means you get a pelvis that is really far forward Anteriorly oriented more so than we think on that left side, which means that he's trying to turn the hip socket to point downward to create a downward force. IR is down. Remember that. Yep, Always-
1: yep, yeah.
0: Yeah. IR is down. ER is up. Okay. So, so if he's pushing down that hard, where is he pushing down? Chances are, chances are, you got you've got an orientation at the knee where he's trying to use the knee. To push down into the ground, so you're going to have an orientation problem at the knee. The question mark is, is is again, and I can't see him, but but his foot's going to tell you, okay. If if you've got more of a, a, a lowered arch, okay, you're going to have a femur that's that's in IR, tibia that's in ER. Okay, does that make sense?
1: Tibia is also the so the uh,
3: so his proximal- knee wants to
0: stay extended his knee yep. wants to stay extended and then every time you load him and 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 you try to try to bend that knee he can't bend it because the orientation of the knee is to keep it straight okay got it the other possibility and this is again this is why you want to go to the foot you got to look at the foot If he still has an arch, but he's moving towards late, you still have the exact same orientation that I just described in the knee. So you still have a femur that's internally rotated. You still have a tibia that's externally rotated. But then if he's supinated, the whole extremity ER'd on you. Okay. You got a whole different strategy to go after there. So, you got to bring that you got to bring the extremity back first as a whole, then you can worry about the orientation at the knee. Does that make sense? So, so can it, this so be it's a sequence of events that matters?
1: So, can this can, can this correlate with why he has pain or discomfort in like a, a fun for foot elevated foot squat with the left leg back?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. He doesn't have so he doesn't have any IR,
1: right? So, he's trying to create. So, it's just ER is an, orient, an orientation.
0: So, so chances are when, when, it, when it's the back leg, is it, is it oriented? Yeah, outward? Would, yeah. Would, okay. Yeah. yeah. So that so that's one of your better tells as to, as to what's going on. So now you, now you've got a nice little complex movement comparison that you can use and say, okay, did we recapture what we need to recapture? Put them in the exact same exercise and say, how does it look now? How does it feel now? Right?
1: Right. right. Yep. Um, for like uh, interventions or like starting, starting points, what I was doing with him was like rolling patterns to the left.
0: Uh, too soon. Too, too soon. soon. Too soon. So, where do you, so where remember I, what I, we so just said, remember what we just said, you measured him over here. Yeah. Right. And if I try to turn him. Yeah. And as I describe it, he turns like a refrigerator turns all at one, one big piece he's turning. Right. Yep. You've got to create, you've got to create the segmental motion first then you can actually get a nice clean turn because what he's doing right now is he's, he's moving everything together. Right. Cause he's in late, he's in late. So you got a lot, you've got a lot of posterior compression. It's like, there's not a lot of, a lot of uh, relative motion that's going on there. You got to create that first. That's why I say, go this way first, then try to turn him. So that makes sense. It. You got it. Yeah. 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 So, so he, and he's a narrow dude. So, um, you're gonna like like short staggers, um, a-, a to P driven, right? So so remember his helical angle is very vertical, so we don't want to do any do do a lot of like horizontal kind of stuff. You want to keep him on helical angle first because you're trying to recapture the 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 full excursion.
1: Yep, yep. Okay. Does that make sense. Yeah, yeah. It makes a lot more sense. Okay. Um, any like like even like like gra- any ground based breathing like hook line. Should I, should I like? What do you suggest there? Like, should I do any hook line, asymmetric hook line exercise? If you, if you
0: need to take, I mean, if you need to take gravity out of the equation, then the, there's no question that, that that's what you need to do, right? Okay. Um, and and maybe maybe it is. Maybe it is. Again, I I don't I don't know this kid. You know him better than I do. Right. And, and honestly, you may be able to keep him on his feet and do do everything. The 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 cable chopping activities and, and such unweight him. That might be enough. If it's not enough, like if you don't see your your change during your your complex comparisons, then yeah, you got to slowly take take uh, gravity out of the equation, right? Okay, does that make sense? No, absolutely. Because yeah, I think welcome. you're just trying to turn them too soon, and so all you're doing get, all you're doing is getting orientations. You're not getting the the nice little segmental motion. Other than that, I think like I said, like your 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 diagnosis of what you're representing here is is on point. Like you understand that. Right, it's just the it, your intervention sequence. But I think that that one get a peek at his at his feet, so you know you know how far forward he is. Mm-hmm. You know how you need do you need to orient the whole lower extremity first, then go after the segmental motion, or do you just have to go after the segmental motion at the knee? And I think you could probably alleviate it. So heel to butt is going to be your knee measure, right? Yep. Does he get full extension. I would think he's got full extension.
1: Um, I haven't, I, I don't,
0: I haven't tested it, so. Okay. It. All right. Well, so, so the, the two big tests for me, for knees, like I don't do special tests. Um, I just, I just look at, at, uh, the ability to, to extend the knee and then heel to butt measure, because that's going to tell you what your orientation of the tibia is relative to the femur. That's, those are the most important measures that you've gotten in regards to the knee. Make sure you have those. Cause again, they're very telling because they're going to let you know that you got the orientation correct right worst case scenario worst case scenario the guy that was just on the video a minute ago yeah okay right yeah yeah worst case scenario you call him in to, to lay hands okay but that's i see him
1: every, I see him every day so yeah okay. I got
0: him. I, i'm sorry to hear that i'm sorry to hear yeah. that it must be really it must be really difficult for you to come into work every day yeah yeah
1: that's <laughs> yeah. good dude all right do you have any other questions young man no I'm all set, okay. thank you so much. Awesome,
0: awesome interpretation. You are on point with your interpretation. Like I said, just just play with the sequencing a little bit, get a little bit more information in regards to, to the foot position, okay?
1: okay? Okay, thank you, Bill, appreciate all it. Man. Have a great day. You too.
0: Like When I constructed the archetypes, like the two extreme archetypes, it's like that was foundational because it's the easiest thing to, to see. Good morning. Happy Tuesday. I have Neuro Coffee in hand, and it is perfect. All right. Well, a little bit busier Tuesday than normal, so we are going to cut to the chase. Today's uh, Q&A is a little something different. So I actually did a podcast with Sean Seal at Upside Strength, and Sean was kind enough to let me post a few segments of that ahead of the uh, the actual release, which I believe is July 26. So if you listen to the Upside Strength podcast, which I suggest you do, um, you'll hear this in full um, on July 26. But uh, this is a segment where uh, Sean asked about the value of the infrasternal angle and how I use it as far as from an assessment standpoint, what does it mean? How does it? How does the structure influence someone's ability to perform? We talked a little bit about rotation and such. So good foundational information for those of you that are, again, just kind of coming into the the familiarity um, with my model. Um, again, Sean, thank you so much uh, for letting me me post this ahead of time. If you'd like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com, and we will arrange that at our mutual convenience. Don't forget to put 15-minute consultation in the subject line of the email. Um, also, if you want to catch up on all things infrasternal angle, we've got a number of videos up on the YouTube channel, so please go there and subscribe. I will see you all tomorrow.
3: Another thing that um, I heard, again, secondhand, from Pat Davidson, uh, but he mentioned you as the source of, uh, of that information. Uh, and I know you've talked about where you found it, but uh, maybe talk about uh, infrasternal angles and how you first came about that um, model, if we, if we want to call it that, uh, mm-hmm. and, and uh, how it, what, what place it now takes in, in the way that you assess human beings.
0: So this goes, this goes back
3: to elimination of
0: planes and your physical structure. So if you're a tube, then you behave like a tube and tubes behave um, basically on on helices. So all of your movement as a human being is based on on rotation and and that that rotation occurs on a helical angle. And so what we need then is a representation of of how you would produce those turns. Um, And that, that lends itself to physical structure. So if you think about all the possibilities of, of angles of, of helices, your your parents basically decided what your helical angles were going to be. And so it's just a matter of having a representation of that for us to calculate our probabilities from. And so um, you can go back into, I think the earliest representation I have of somebody that was looking at structure in a similar manner was, um, I think Joel Gothwaite talked about it in 1922. Um, but it goes to earlier than that. If you, if you go back into like the AT still literature, which would be late 1800s, um, you know, in medicine, they didn't have x-rays. They didn't have MRIs. They didn't even have, you know, reasonable medications other than maybe something that would manage pain like opiates and things like that. And so what they were looking for is like, why are these people, why is this group of people always get sick? And why does this people, this group of people not get sick? Right. And then what they, they kind of looked at and they said, well, we've got these extreme examples of these physical structures and some people are just more adaptable than other people. Some people turn this way and some people can turn this way. And then they were looking at these physical structures and, and they, and then they kind of leave leave you hanging. Right. They say, we just kind of know that this type of a person is going to feel this way. This type of a person is going to feel this way. And if we look at stomach shape, they did that. They looked at the shape of the stomach and they go, well, this type of a person has a stomach that looks kind of like this. And this person has a, a totally different kind of a stomach. And, and so you, then you start to look, start to piece this stuff together and you go, okay, well, I have these representations of behavior that are, that are, it's, it's all based off of movement. So everything that we do is based off movement. Your thoughts are movement, your speech is movement, et cetera, et cetera. So you're, you're all designed to move. I think it's Daniel Wolpert has a great Ted talk on that, on, on why you even have a brain. But, but, uh, but point being is, so all we're looking for is a representation of the heli- helical angle upon which you behave.
3: Could you, sorry, could, you pl- could you please define a helical angle for, for people? That are yeah. Not, so, um, yeah. you ever look at a
0: toilet paper roll, mm-hmm. you, you know, the, the inner, uh, the cardboard part of a toilet paper roll. Mm. Okay. So it's, 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 it's a tube and then it has the, the seam around it. That's the helices of the toilet paper roll. So if you, if you start at the seam and you unwind it and you pull it apart, it makes the the swirling thing like a spring. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, So, so, um, so that's basically how you move. So you, you, you move based on that. And so within your movement capabilities, your physical structure has limitations based on how you are physically designed. That's Mm -hmm. why some people can do some amazing things. And some people are just challenged by gravity every day of their life. Right. So, so we have soup, we we have true superheroes um, all over the world. And then we have people that are the opposing um, representation, which is, okay, I would have been food for something else had we lived in a more prehistoric time. Right? Um, and, and so we have this broad scope of representation, but if we, if we can understand the extremes, then we can understand a little bit more about how someone is, is uh, accomplishing a physical task like, like movement. Um, but, but again, so the, the ISA is just a way, a way to narrow the probabilities as to how this person has the capacity to solve a, a, a movement problem in context. Mm-hmm. Right, and so again, it's just a representation. It is not the end all, be all. You know, people jump on the on the bandwagon because it's novel, and it's not even novel. For gosh sakes, it's like you, you go again. You go back through the literature. They look, they they saw differences in structure. Shirley Sarman even talks about it in 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 her book, although she's a little bit, a little bit um, again vague as to its usefulness in regards to the representation but but you know it's been talked about it just hasn't been utilized like when i constructed the archetypes like the two extreme archetypes it's like that was foundational because it's the easiest thing to to see um, in regards to um this this helical orientation and then it guides me in my understanding of like okay so this person has a, a wider infrasternal angle so what does that represent to me What does that tell me about this person? And then there's a cascade of events that has to come off of those principles. So again, we're going down down to foundations, like what does this represent? And then I have somebody at the other extreme that has these extreme narrow um, infrasternal angles. It's like, okay, wait a minute, this person and this person look totally different. They physically look different they have to solve movement issues in two totally different ways. And then what, what is their capabilities based on that? What does it represent? And so that that's in its simplest representation. It's like, it's just a, a measure of your, your behavior uh, and, um, based on your capabilities, based on physical structure
3: mm-hmm. and, and not
0: all created equal. <laughs> okay. that's, why, yeah. that's why some people get paid Mm -hmm. That's why some people get paid to play (laughs) games. That's why some people get to go to the Olympics is because, you know, the, the, the gods turn their, their physical structure into something superhuman that allows them to do things that other people just can't do Mm -hmm. at
3: all. That's a good way of putting it. Uh, I've heard you relate those different uh, ISA archetypes, let's call them to, uh, to, to rotation and force. Uh, could you explain how maybe those come into play when it comes to this? How, how does the structure dictate someone's ability to uh, preferentially do one or the other?
0: Do one or the other what? I'm sorry.
3: Uh, or do one or the other better when it, when we talk, if we talk more rotation, if we talk more force. Uh, oh, oh,
0: oh, I got you. Yeah. Yeah, um, so, it, the, so the two extremes, you have a, you have a wide ISA archetype, so that's, that's somebody that has a very, very wide angle at the bottom of their ribcage, and then you have the narrow ISA archetype, which somebody has a very narrow angle. Um, and, and again, we're talking about the extremes here, so, so these are people that, are, that have a bias towards, so it's not an absolute, it's not that they can't do something, it's just that they have a limited capacity to do something, and then they would be better at something else. And so when you have somebody with a, with a wide ISA archetype, you have somebody that is, that is biased towards force production because that representation is based off of uh, the orientation of the body as it would, would be forcefully exhaling. So when you think about lifting something heavy or you're going you're gonna to push off the ground to accelerate or I'm going to throw something really, really hard, there's a moment in time or I have to be able to squeeze myself very, very tightly um, to produce the highest possible force in the shortest possible time mm. under, the, under most circumstances from a dynamic standpoint. And so those people are really, really good at, at high force. If I need to sustain it like, like a powerlifter would, then that actually helps me do that as well. At the other end of the spectrum, um, I, I have the opposing strategy which would be more of an expansive inhaled representation, which actually allows me to move and and turn much more effectively. Whereas if I'm producing high force and I have too much relative motion available to me where I can turn, it dissipates force. It allows me, it it allows me to demonstrate velocity. So it's the after effect Hmm. of producing the force. Um, if, if I can restore the ability to produce relative motion, that's where velocity is demonstrated when I'm producing high force, I don't want movement. Mm-hmm. And so the wide ISA archetype is much more forceful, much more higher pressure oriented, much more exhalation based. And then the, the narrows are the opposing strategy. And so that allows a lot of relative motion to, to be available, which allows them to demonstrate more of their turning capabilities. You're never gonna turn a weakness into a strength. You can develop potential, but again, you're, but when you find your strengths, that's where you would start to invest heavily. Good morning, happy Wednesday. I have Neuro Coffee in hand and it is perfect. Okay. Well, today is Wednesday. That means that tomorrow is Thursday, which means at 6 a.m. As usual, we will have the Coffee and Coaches Conference call. Um, We've had, oh, well over a year's worth of these calls. Um, We're going to continue to do them as long as they are fun and useful. Um, So please join us for that. Again, 6 a.m. The link will be on my professional Facebook page uh, just prior to the call. A little housekeeping item, uh, invites for the Intensive 14 went out last night. Um, the least favorite part of this whole process for me um, is to have to go through these, these applications because I, I appreciate everybody's interest so much. And there's a lot of great applications, and it's just we can only pick eight at a time to do this thing the right way. So, so please understand. Um, if you don't get in this time, please apply again. Many people have applied several times and and then finally do get in. Um, so again, I appreciate you. Uh, today's q and is another segment with Sean Seal from Upside Strength. Um, this is uh, this segment was uh, um, something that I'm very very fond of talking about because I think it's really important in regards to um, how we're going to move our industries, whether it be rehab industry, fitness industry, however you see this, sports performance training. We have to move these things forward. And I think the best way to do that is through the mentorship and apprenticeship model. Um, It is the safest way to do this. It is the most objective way for you to make progress as quickly as possible as a coach. And so uh, can't value this enough so i'm glad that that uh, sean brought this up because again i do think it's one of those things that that really needs to be um, expanded upon in our industries to move forward so again thank you all um for your attention today if you would like to participate in a 15 minute consult please go to ask bill at gmail.com ask at gmail.com put 15 minute consultation in the subject line so i don't delete it And we will try to arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding Wednesday. I will see you tomorrow morning, six a.m. on the Coffee and Coaches Conference Call. Mm -hmm.
3: Uh, Bill, I've heard you say that you would never have given yourself any client as a young coach uh, or therapist. Yes. Uh, How how can we make sure that young coaches are uh, young coaches? uh, Coaches starting out. uh, How can we make sure that they're as ready as they can be? And if there's no real way of of doing that. How can we limit the potential damage that that could be done? Uh, unfortunately, at that stage,
0: yeah. Th- so this this falls back on something that I'm kind of fond of talking about, and this is this is like a mentorship apprenticeship approach. Um, the, the, the greater the risk, the the more extensive we tend to see apprenticeship. So if you think about like a like a, a specialized medical doctor might go through fifteen years of evolution until they reach a point where they are considered you know, an, an expert of something. Um, in, in, here in the United States, plumbers go through years. Plumbers, so this is not even a complex situation. So plumbers go through years and years of apprenticeship um, so, so they, can, they can become a journeyman plumber. And in, in our industries, it tends to be like, let's get it done as quickly as possible. Let's get them out and get them working. Um, and I don't think, I don't think it's ideal and, and, and I don't think it's ideal for the client because again, we have a lot of people that, that are, are short on experience taking other people's health into their hands and rarely do people, you know, suffer dire consequences, but there is, there is potential for it Mm. at, at all times, but, but it also limits their ability to be successful. Right. Um, and, and so I think that what we need probably need to do in, in our industries is to is to increase the the extent of our ability to, to have ongoing mentors at different levels of our development. And that's how that's the that's the safest way to do it. And then it's the fastest way to to improve the qualification of somebody that becomes a coach or a trainer or a therapist is to always have that ongoing relationship with. With again some level of of mentor, it, or somebody that has skills that that you don't have but that might be helpful for you, is to spend time under the guy under the guidance of that person, as well. So I think the mentorship apprenticeship model probably needs to be expanded, and recognized into its level of importance in something that is, we're a service industry. We work with other human beings. we, we have consequences to all of our actions, and I think that's the safest way to do it.
3: Mm-hmm. You, you talked about um, you know adverse consequences that can come from doing certain things. Uh, what comes to mind is uh, second order effects, uh, given that we're dealing with a complex system in, in the human body. so uh, just a, a quick distinction um, complicated there's a lot of things going on, but it could be theoretically computed. For example, a computer is, is complicated, but with uh, we can write it all down. We can figure out how it works exactly. The body has emergent properties that we can't necessarily infer from the basic understanding that we have from its component parts. And so when dealing with a complex system like the human body, um, for, from your standpoint, what are the biggest second-order effects that we neglect or that, that we should be thinking about more when we decide to use a certain uh, method of training or a certain invention? What are the overlooked ones that we need to be conscious of?
0: Well, so we tend to we tend to look at things in, in a much more acute context. We say that so-and-so did this. Nothing bad happened in the moment, right? Um, so it must be okay. And then what we don't recognize is the fact that we may have actually done something that causes a problem five years from now. So why do NBA players notoriously end up with arthritic conditions um, after they retire? Mm -hmm. Well, because the accumulation of stress over time is what produces the, the, the cascade of events that ultimately results in destruction right? Mm-hmm. So again, they have superpowers, but those superpowers have to be managed to protect them from themselves. And in many cases, because of the nature of their, they, they work a performance schedule, not a play schedule. So they are there to perform for other people, thus the frequency of the exposures, thus the intensity of the effort. And again, they get paid in return, but, but there are there are consequences. And so what we have to understand is like, all of our are uh, you know um i don't want to say average people but but the the typical people that that we see in sort of the fitness realm we have to take that into consideration it's like i might be doing something to them now that could be detrimental later on you know if i'm back squatting somebody you know heavy and yes they they get to be their own own guide in that regards they they accept the fact that there is a risk involved and 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 you know That's just part of being a grown up. You get to make those decisions. But the reality is, is that we, that we are the manager and we get to make some of those decisions as well as to how we want to influence this. And so I I need to protect them from themselves or I need to protect them from bad decisions. And then what the, and the only concern that I have here is that we just don't know what the consequences are going to be. Mm. Right. If I back squat somebody heavy today, right. Did I did I place load on structure that was below the threshold where they would recognize it as having a pain experience? But did I do something to that structure that will have a longer term consequence that won't be identified for a very long time?
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And so we tend to look at things in this acute representation. It's like, oh, that was safe. When the reality is, it's like we have to kind of understand. It's like, eh, we probably don't know. And again, we're still playing probabilities here. And that makes people uncomfortable you know, but it's, like I said, it's probably closer to reality.
3: Mm -hmm. What is your position on as a, as a coach and and one's development playing to your strengths rather than to your weaknesses when it comes to uh, looking at what you should, you know, learn next, where do you need to develop yourself?
0: Everybody has strengths. Everybody has weaknesses and your weaknesses will always be weaknesses. Okay. And now, don't confuse the weakness with undeveloped potential, okay? So, um, example, I have a guitar sitting in my living room over that way, and I'm terrible. I'm a terrible guitar player. I'm horrible and miserable, right? But I get to call myself a guitar player because I own a guitar and I can, I can, you know, noodle a little bit. I'm never going to be a great guitar player. It will always be a weakness of mine. And 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 again, I just don't have the potential to be a great guitar player, nor do I have the, the time that would be required to do that. So weaknesses will always be weaknesses. That's why it's so important to have a mentor and to go through an apprenticeship model because I get objectivity that I can't impose upon myself that will help me identify what I'm really, really good at and then what I might be not so good at and then that directs me so we have we have coaches that are great with general population clients and not so great with athletes and and most likely it doesn't mean they can't work with athletes it just means that we got people that are probably better at that like they work better they understand it better they have more movement experience or they've been in that in that environment and so they understand more whereas you take somebody that's never been in that context and they try to coach that it becomes very very difficult right to have the, the best outcome so again that that all comes into play you're never going to turn a weakness into a strength you can develop potential but again you're but when you find your strengths that's where you would start to invest heavily tell me how much relative motion you have available to you under those circumstances not a lot exactly move there you are he's outside morning greetings
4: um, so I had a kid come in yesterday, college um, soccer goalie. Um, oh, cool. So low back pain was his main complaint. Not while he's playing, it's primarily during his workouts with pretty much like any hinging type movement. So like RDLs, deadlifts, cleans, anything like that um, flares him up. Yep. Um, he has a narrow ISA on the oblique axis, um, can pretty much squat. Like I was kind of jealous of his squat, like literally butt just hits the ground super easily. Um, so the first thing I was, I went like last night when I got back from work, I was going and watching some of your videos on like a toe touch. Cause the foot, like a forward toe touch was like the main thing that caused him pain. i am um, looking at him. Um, so you're talking about how you need to create like the posterior expansion initially, but then, um, need counter-nutation or no, need nutation of the sacrum at the end to just get that expansion. All right. I'll stop there.
0: <laughs> it's Okay. So it's gonna depend on, on how how he gets down there. So if he's a narrow guy, then his he's gonna finish his toe touch and counternutation.
4: So he's just like expanding like all like if to think about it, like he's just
0: right. so again, so my my concern is that is that one, you're you're trying to get a guy to do stuff that he's not as well designed to do. Right. Mm-hmm. They're asked, they're asking him to create a pelvic orientation that, that he's probably not great at. Um, and so, so that's step one. So let's making sure that, that you've got the capacity to move the, the pelvis through space. The toe touch would be a good representation for him because again, it, it, he's got to go through the nutation to get there. If he's having trouble with the toe touch, he can't access it, or he's having discomfort with the toe touch, then you, you might have a guy that, that just can't even access that position.
4: Is there a utility in like trying to correlate the straight leg raise measure to the toe touch in that like, depending on like, at what point he starts to have pain as he goes down, would you expect that to be correlated with like to how limited his straight leg raise is? Like let's say he has pain, like right when he starts to go down, you expect the straight leg raise to stop very early versus do have, like- Do you
0: ever have somebody with a really limited straight leg raise, but they could touch their toes?
4: Yeah, they're probably getting, cheating it somewhere else.
0: Well, okay, so, so, so think about it. It's like, so here, here's what he doesn't have, okay? Chances are, he's lacking the, the IR space to, to, as he bends forward, right? So he can't, he can't access the IR, but he's got to go through that space anyway. So how's he doing it?
2: Uh,
4: you get it higher up like thorax or just externally, like just externally rotate. So just create the and orientation.
0: Stand behind him when he's doing the toe touch. Okay.
4: Mm-hmm. If,
0: if you see the pelvis get wider, like at the hip level, as they start to, to toe touch, okay, they, they sort of spread out, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, that's usually the proximal ER that's taking place.
4: I'll have to look at that when he's in next week. Yeah. Um,
0: but but so, so chances are you, you've got a guy that does not mutate well, he does not capture the internal rotation well, and then they ask him to do these activities. And so he's trying to do, do an IR driven activity in ER. Gotcha. Okay. So so if I if, if IR is the position where I have mutation and no rotation, think about how hard that is for him. Yep. Okay.
4: Yep. Um, so one other follow-up question to that. So um, I did the exercise that i seen you do. Um, and I'm not sure if it was the right, but it worked for him. Um, So like the toes elevated, ball squeeze, like between the knees and then like four bend as you're like sinking the exhale. What'd you just do? So based off the video, I I gave him a little more access to ER or IR, sorry.
0: Thank you. There you go. That's exactly what you just did.
4: So I I get how the ball squeeze is gonna reduce um, the concentric orientation of the external rotators, can you just clarify what the, um, like the toe elevation is doing for him from like a center mass standpoint, why that's making it easier for him? And then also like what you're doing with sinking the breaths?
0: Okay, so, so what foot position did you put him in?
4: Um, like more of like an internally rotated position.
0: Yeah, okay, so, so where's the confusion there?
4: I guess I just still have a tough time seeing how that makes its way up to the pelvis and like his low back where he's having the issues.
0: Okay, so does he have to pronate in that foot position? Yes. Is pronation internal rotation or external rotation? Internal. Awesome, and then you internally rotated him at the hip? I guess so. (laughs) Okay, did you reduce posterior lower concentric orientation? Yes. Did you move the sacrum into nutation?
4: Yes. And so what what is the what is like the the sinking of the breath where you're exhale on the way down, inhale at the bottom, exhale up. How does that play into it?
0: So um, is a mutation IR representation of the pelvis an inhaled or an exhaled representation?
4: Nutation would be an exhaled representation.
0: Where is he going to finish his toe touch in ER or IR?
4: I guess based on what you're saying, it would depend on like like a normal toe touch, like mechanics.
0: Yeah, like a normal toe touch. Where's he going to finish, ER or IR? We just said it. ER. ER, okay. Does he have to go through IR to get there? Yes. Do you want him to go through IR to get there? Yes. Would it behoove you to have an exhalation strategy as he is moving through a position of exhalation? Yes. There you go. All right. Yeah. Because what you don't wanna do is you don't wanna create the opposing strategy and, 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 and literally create confusion, if you will, in, in regards to representation. So once he gets down there, I want a, I want a, a normal representation of a toe touch, so to speak. So, so I'm gonna drive those mechanics to, to the best of my capabilities, right?
4: Yeah, so, so even though he has to go through the ER spaces as well because he's already good at inhaling, give him a little bit extra, like a push towards the exhalation side of it by having him exhale on the way down just to try to make it easier for him to achieve the position he needs to?
0: Yeah, if you're gonna go through a position of exhalation, it would behoove you to exhale. All
4: right.
0: Yeah, so you, again, cause so so a toe touch, I'm looking for the relative mechanics, right? So counter-nutation, nutation, counter-nutation. So if I sequence the breathing, right? Because What would happen if he held his breath the whole time? Tell me how much relative motion you have available to you under those circumstances. Not a lot. Exactly. You want to capture that medial aspect of the foot. Otherwise you don't have, you don't have relative motion. Good morning. Happy Friday. I have neural coffee in hand and it is perfect. Friday already the, the week has flown by very busy we got intensive 13 people two weeks out um, from their intensive we got the intensive 14 people starting to roll in to start their prep so so very very busy um, digging into today's Q&A um, we got another segment from yesterday's coffee and coaches conference call, which is really, really good. Um, this is a segment with uh, Andrew that that led us into a discussion of split squats. So we we talked about the influence of load positions and pelvic orientations. Um, and then I, I threw up a uh, an image that, I've, that I don't think I've used this one before on on any of these segments as a representation of the, the sacral orientation as you're moving through the split squat. So I think that's gonna be useful because I think there, there's some confusion as to how much turn is available to you um, during these activities. So, so I think again, gonna be going to be um, uh, enlightening at, at least to some degree for for some people um, to, to clarify the understanding of, of where we are when we're talking about this early representation at the top of the split squat, how we're capturing the internal rotation at the bottom. Okay. So hopefully that's going to be useful for you. I'm um, going to set up some 15-minute consultations pretty quick here. So if you would like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com, and we will set that up at our mutual convenience. Uh, podcast will be up on Sunday as usual, and everybody have an outstanding weekend. I will do the same, and I will see you next week. How's it going? It is going. We're rolling. I feel pretty good today.
2: That's awesome. Good. Awesome. Um, I think <clears throat> I think the pelvic position um, in early is starting to click in my head. So I just want to kind of run the thought process by you. So oh. uh, for for a while, I was I, thinking about it turning. Thinking about the pelvis turning towards the left on like a left heel strike was tripping me up. Um and i think it's because i was thinking about it as like a flat turn so if we take that that front foot ele- or or just like a split squat with a contralateral load so if you're if you don't have the contralateral load and let's just say you have a a decent representation um straightforward you would expect when you put that right hand load in place not you would expect the the right sacral base to push forward a little bit and in the left it's almost like the left sacral base just like expands and the, 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 the left ilium kind of comes underneath almost. Like I like, guess, so that, that's like, it almost like scoops, like if we look at it at the side, it's like it almost like scoops under like that and that's the, the, the space that's created. No?
0: I, I'm not really sure on, on your, your representation. Let me, let me give you um, terminology that may help. Okay. Okay. Um, so you know how I, I, I talk about the the yielding action, slowing the left side down under that circumstance. Okay. So the reason that it slows the left side down is because the left side's going forward faster than the right side. And so when you get that left foot lead, early propulsion representation it's 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 not twisting everything hard in in that direction it's just slowing this one down so so this is the representation that you have so I, this is left side forward right side back can you see the difference like see how big my hand is right right so you you've got the left lead left leg lead right hand load okay and so what we're doing is this as you descend right. into the split squat it's just slowing this side down right and then you go back up and it does this and then you go right down and it does that and it goes right up and it does that you see it right so so you're that that's what the yielding actions are for is to slow things down because it's a rate dependent change in the connective tissues to begin with does that make sense
2: right but there there's a pelvic position that's associated with the starting position right yeah. like like you you, you change yeah. the position right you change the position so yeah okay so basically i guess so now we're gonna my... do this and we're yeah. gonna do that see it? right right <laughs> yeah
0: where's it itself up i should just do get it i always forget i have this thing just sitting here
2: right right
0: so this is the top this is the
2: bottom get it right 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 okay yeah yeah it's it's i think it's clicking in my head i don't even know if i have the words but it's like i I was thinking too much about turning and 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 yes it, it like does turn because the right compression is greater in that circumstance where you put the right hand load um but I, I think it's just it's like the four D there kind of thing. It, it's the or the three D. I mean, even just the fact that it like it's it's not just turning. It's like it's coming underneath almost. Like the 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 the, the innominate bone is um, at least in my in my head. It's like it's making a little bit more room, almost like it does at the end of a squat, where where the the sacrum's still facing up. But maybe that's just totally wrong. <laughs> I have no idea. Um,
0: I don't know that you're that you're you're totally wrong or anything like that. I but okay. Hang on a second. I'm gonna bring up a picture. Okay. Real quick here. That might help. You see that? hmm Okay. So look at the 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 black diagonal first. Okay. Okay. You see you see all of them. You see my you see my my arrow yeah. on the screen? You see that? I'm drawing it. You see it? Or no. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I'm on that diagonal, right? As you descend into the split squat, it's the next diagonal, then the next diagonal and the next diagonal at the bottom where you would have your IR representation, the sacrum would be facing straight ahead, wherever straight ahead would be relative to where it started, where it started. As you go back up, it turns back in the other direction. So we go back to our starting. Do you see it?
2: Yes, yes. So
0: That's this is right. going through time. This is what it looks like going through time. Right. If you put it in your ER representation and then you get to the IR representation at the bottom.
2: Okay? Okay, right. You see it? Yes, yes. Okay, and then if we're doing, okay, so with, with that same person who let, let's say they've got the left sacral base compressed and we're, we use an ipsilateral load uh, with a right foot forward, we're basically just trying to create that same position. We just know that they're biased towards the, the, um, the right-hand turn. So we need to like hold them back into the left. So, so, so like, like we would, have, if, if we're trying to recapture normal relative motion, get down to the, the bottom of a split squat, uh, the, the, the thought process is, okay, since they're already creating IR somewhere else in their body, not in the hip on that right side, we're just trying to, we're just trying to take them and put them in a normal representation like that long diagonal. Or no. in the start position.
0: Okay. So you changed the exercises on me, right? you you, you, right, you I did right. You went right foot forward with the right hand load. Yes. okay. So the position of the load makes it more challenging for me to go into the IR position on the right. It makes it easier to come out of the split squat and move back towards the ER representation. Okay. Got it. So when I have a right hand load, left foot lead, it makes it easier for me to go into the IRD position on the lead leg. Say it one more time. Left foot forward, right hand load. So the so the the uh, contralateral load makes it easier for me to move into the IRD representation at the bottom of the split squat. Okay. okay. Yeah. Which means which means that I have to push harder out of the bottom to go back to my starting position.
2: Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. If
0: I flip flop my legs, I go right foot lead right hand load. It makes it harder for me to go into IR at the bottom of the split squat on the lead leg. And it makes it easier for me to come out of it. Okay. We always talk about going into a cut and going out of a cut.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Contralateral load makes it easier to go into a cut. Okay. Ipsilateral lateral I mean, load makes it easier to come out of a cut.
2: And that would apply even if the right foot is kind of relatively, uh, relatively externally rotated relative to the left. Because I, I would think like it, it would need to pronate relatively speaking and then the right hand load would help with that bottom position so that you don't roll onto the outside or no?
0: So I like, I like your thought process a lot because you're trying to just get the system to, to respond entirely possible, entirely possible, because I, I, I still need that representation. Cause what I don't want to do because it makes it easier to ER. I don't want that ER to be an orientation which is what you're describing with the foot. It's like, as long as I hang on to that, that medial foot, I know I'm using relative motion to get in and out of that position versus if I'm on the outside edge of the foot. Now we're back to Max's question earlier on in the call where he was talking about the 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 lady that had the representation where she was turned and she was on the outside edge of her foot. So she was orienting all the way over into that ER position.
2: Right, right. Does
0: that make sense? Got it.
2: Yeah, okay. So so that in that situation, would it not make it easier to get the IR representation on the front foot? Or is that like an it depends?
0: Well, if you if you want if you want the IR, you're gonna to have to have that foot in that position. Otherwise, you're you're not gonna be able to use relative motions to get there. What position? As you descend into the as you descend into the split squat, you won't be able to use relative motions to get there if you don't capture the, the medial aspect of the foot. And then as you come out of it, if you don't hang on to that, you're not gonna, you're, you're, again, you're not gonna use relative motions to do that. You're just gonna, you're gonna orient everything into that position. Right? right. We, we want, and again, if the goal is relative motion, we want those segments to move independently of one another to allow us to access those positions and spaces.
2: Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. This just came out of like experimentation and just feeling like, okay, it's easier to get front medial foot. Um, And so I assume that that's, I I just, I see a lot of people who who it's just, it's like every time their right foot goes forward, the entire system turns to the right. And so, um, yeah. Okay. So they're trying to
0: orient. They're trying to orient, and your best strategy to prevent that from happening is to hang on to that medial border of the foot.
2: Right. Okay. Okay. And remember, the they're, spl- both,
0: they're both there, just to whatever degree. So when that when that foot is the lead, whatever your lead foot is, you want to capture that medial aspect of the foot. Otherwise, you don't have you don't have relative motion.